0: Health-wise...
1: Welcome to episode 34 of the HealthWise Report. This is Thomas Corrier.
2: And this is Sarah Corrier. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'd like to start out by warning people that this show probably won't be as family-friendly as we like to keep them. It's going to cover a lot of adult topics, especially relating to abuse and childhood abuse, the sort that causes long-term psychological problems. So if you have a child in the room, you might want to switch to a headphones. We'll give you a minute to do that.
1: Well, that should have been enough time for you to pause or put in headphones or whatever. Since we're on the topic of adult stuff, I just thought I'd mention something that might save a few marriages out there. These, well, I don't even know where to begin. You know, everybody knows there are these 900 numbers, at least in the United States, they are phone numbers that begin with 900. Well, these are special phone numbers that charge you for calling them. Usually, there's some kind of sleazy service behind it. Usually, it's for the phone sex operators. Not something I know a lot about, but recently, I was graced with an opportunity to find out a little bit more. Somehow, they got a hold of one of my numbers, one of my private numbers, one of these services, and now they're actually calling out. They're not just waiting for you to call them. They're calling out with flirty phone messages to try to get you to call them back.
2: What's incredible about these phone messages is that they listen to the voicemail and get your full name from that so that the message sounds like you actually know these people.
1: Yeah, they actually include your name. Like, uh, it was, hey, Thomas, (laughs) you know, and all this stuff. And some of them used my last name, too. Yep. So anyone listening to the message would think, for sure, I must know this person. Well, I got a few raunchy messages. I didn't know what to think when I first got them. It took us a while to figure out what was going on. Sarah was sitting here listening for the first time, raising an eyebrow, really looking at me pretty heavily, like, who's that? You know? <laughs> and um, the reason I'm mentioning it, because this could happen to you. And if your wife or girlfriend hears one of these messages, it, it's over for you. I mean, you're in real trouble. I was talking about coming to the house and said she'd be here Saturday. Yeah. And what makes it bad, one thing I thought was particularly bad, is I got one of these on Valentine's Day. Now, can you imagine your wife listening in on one of these on Valentine's Day? Here, I'm, I'm going to pull up, but we found one that was clean enough to actually air. hmm I'm going to play it right now.
0: Hey, Thomas. Well, you never answer, and I just want to know if you could come over you know, have some fun. Yeah, um, bye, Thomas.
2: So right. you can kind of imagine that no wife ever is going to listen to this on an answer phone and say, well, that must be the hotline calling. The,
1: the 900 number calling, trying to get your call. No, no, it's, it's going to be big trouble. And yeah. I just wanted everybody out there to be on the lookout or listening out for these because you may get one, your husband may get one, uh, and it's going to be bad. I don't know how many women would actually believe it, Yeah, I mean, would we, believe their husbands, that he didn't know this person who's calling him by name and saying he's She's coming over to visit, and she can't wait for him to visit her again. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. Anyway, we're moving on. Of course, that is not the crust of this show. We had another core topic we're going to talk about, which is the topic of hypnosis. I hope that people will listen in long enough to realize just how important this topic is. Most people think that hypnosis is a silly thing. It's part of carnival acts and silly things on TV shows. It has no real bearing in most people's lives, or at least that's what they believe. I'm telling you from personal experience, hypnosis is something that is extremely beneficial and should not be underestimated. We've been putting this topic sort of on hold for a long time. We've had a lot of tough issues we wanted to talk to people about. We thought we had to go public with, and this is going to be a a more positive show than most. Usually we go on the attack.
2: Exactly. It's like, we need to be negative. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate, but there are so many people that we need to expose and warn people about, and so that's what we spend a lot of our time doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, frankly, it's what we do best. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it, it, it works this way, and we've learned from years of experience. If you're an investigative journalist, this is what you do best, digging up the dirt. Yeah. It is what we do best, <laughs> to some extent. I mean, there are positive things we could be reporting, and this is one of them. This is one of those positive topics. I think perhaps what I should do is get started on personal experience on this one. Um, I know how to do it. I'm very good at it. I'm self-trained. Really, if you're going to be good at anything, anything at all in this world, you're going to have to be self-trained. And you can go to college and you can read the books and et cetera, but rolling up your sleeves and actually doing it and learning it, it's the only way you really learn a topic. Yep. It's kind of like the whole thing, if you want to really know a topic well, teach it. you have to teach it. Yeah. Yes, that's the only way you'll really master the topic. And So I guess we're sort of at that stage right now. We know it, and it's time to teach it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because it could be a real life-changing thing for a lot of our listeners. I had to learn it because of Sarah. As a lot of you already know, Sarah comes from England. In a sense, she didn't really come here by choice. She came here because she had to. Sarah comes from a very abusive family. When Sarah was only six years old, her mother committed suicide. she had had a very bad life, and we believe in large part it was due to the antidepressants she was taking. Because, ironically, antidepressants cause suicide. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We don't have time for that right now. Uh, But her mother killed herself and she was left to live with her aunt and uncle. Her uncle, well, there's no other, word to, no other way to put this, he was a sexual predator. What age did it start, Sarah?
2: I don't know, I was probably about eight.
1: Okay, when Sarah was around eight years old, she began getting molested by her uncle, who had adopted her after her mother's death. It became a daily occurrence, and it went far beyond just touching. It turned into essentially oral sex on a daily basis that, let's just say, Sarah was forced to participate in, as well as being watched in the shower, and um, probably that's enough. I don't really even need to go into any more detail than that. I imagine anyone listening, you're going to get the idea. She couldn't go to anyone. This went on year after year because both her uncle and her aunt, whom she was living with, they were police officers. So she had no one to go to. When she finally did go to the police, they tried to get her charged with criminal charges for filing false charges, didn't they, sir?
0: Yeah.
1: And then made a media circus out of it about how this. As they, I think, in their term, schizophrenic. You, you, were, you had to be schizophrenic, this mentally ill.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was your father later on who called you the schizo after his abuse began. But yeah, um, the police said she was mentally disturbed. So Sarah, for being the victim of sexual abuse from a young child on, was then publicly humiliated for it, and was treated as, as the criminal. Yeah. Gotta love England, don't you? It's different in England. Children aren't protected as well. I have a lot of problems with the child protective services that exist here in the United States. But I will say, it could be worse. England is definitely worse. Uh, they're in the opposite extreme. They In England, they really don't protect children well. No, they don't. There's really nowhere to run. I mean, England, it's, it's a fairly good-sized place. But let's face it, it's an island. And Sarah could try to get away on the highway, or as they call it, motorway over there. Her uncle could reach her in a matter of hours, wherever she went.
2: It's not just that. With the English justice system, even if I had gone to the police, the police had treated it appropriately, gone through the whole court, and they'd found him guilty, it would be only a couple of years probably before he was out again.
1: Yeah. And he'd be out for vengeance. And that's Looks just likely. the
2: way the British justice system works. Mm-hmm.
1: Then, later on, um, your dad got involved with his own brand of abuse. Of course, your dad's abusive behavior probably played a large role in your mom's suicide.
2: Probably. I was too young to remember, but I imagine that played a big role.
1: Just before you moved, your dad had gotten into Wicca, witchcraft, yeah, and was on the verge of being a flat-out open Satanist and all kinds of twisted psychological games. He was playing humiliation games, and he had begun, well, getting a little grabby. You mm-hmm.
0: know,
1: it wasn't open molestation at that point, but it was headed there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Sarah really had nowhere to go. So I snuck her out of the country. The rest is history. Sorry, uh, we, we may not be doing as well on this show as we normally do speaking of things, but this is a very personal, harsh topic we're covering here. Yeah. I admire and respect the hell out of Sarah, I'm going to tell you. She's been through hell. I mean, living, living hell. And she's bounced back enough to live a productive life, as very few people can who have been through what she's been through. Amazingly. Instead of being cynical, somehow she's transformed herself into someone who's dedicated to service, to helping other people. If you guys were here, right here in the house with us, I'd tell you, give that girl a hand. Stand up and applaud. Okay? Because she's something else. Thanks. It wasn't easy, especially not in the beginning. And hypnosis is one of the things that I did to help Sarah. To help her put away her past. We deal with people with all kinds of issues, and sometimes those issues are psychological. And the single biggest thing that people have that ruins them in their lives is stuff from their past that they hang on to that they just can't let go. It reminds me of something I realized a while back concerning the Bible. At many points in the Bible, and in particular, Within the Gospels, there's this message of forgive. Forgive and forgive again. And keep forgiving. Yep. And people would assume that that to be a good Christian, you should be a forgiving person. You should be a better person. You shouldn't hang on to the grudges and the anger. And there is some truth to that. I'm sure that's part of it. I have no doubt. But there's something bigger there underneath the surface. Because it's not just about forgiving your adversary and making peace with him. It's about making peace with yourself. Until you can forgive, you're holding that burden.
2: It's like you can't move on as long as you're hating somebody else. Yeah.
1: People assume with you know, the general idea of the Christian message that it's a selfless thing that you're helping others and Yeah, to some degree you are. But you're also helping yourself in a very important way. You're helping yourself to recover and be strong by forgiving. Because once you've forgiven, it's gone. You're free. You're completely free of that. And that person can't hold you back anymore. And that is perhaps the most important thing. And it's one of the most important lessons one can learn in psychology in general. It's that letting go forgiving others and yourself, it's like learning from history, but not necessarily forgetting it, while at the same time allowing yourself to move on and not be hindered by it anymore.
2: Yeah, the individual has to be able to let go. And I think a lot of people, especially abuse victims, kind of resent this notion because they feel like they're being told that they have to forget what happened.
1: Yeah, stop playing the victim and they feel like people don't understand that they're insensitive and etc. that's not always the case it really is sometimes they they have to just move on
2: without it you can't live a productive life it it's not possible whilst you're being held back by well these memories and in a sense by the very person who abused you
1: mm mm-hmm. abuse is largely about power and control and as long as you're holding on to that they still control you to some degree.
0: Yeah.
1: Whether you realize it or not, they are still in control, controlling your emotions, controlling what you do, preventing you from succeeding and moving on. And for them, your complete utter failure. That just validates them. They were right. They could say, I knew you were a failure all along. You see? Proof.
2: Yeah, so in a sense, the best revenge is just succeeding.
1: It really is. And success does mean moving on, and in some cases, that means forgiving. I'd say it means it in a lot of cases. Yes. I don't think Sarah will ever completely forgive her relatives for what they did to her, because she can't. No human being could do that, because what was done was evil. It was done with malice. In conversations, she knows for a fact, it wasn't just about the sex stuff. It was about destroying her. And she didn't let that happen. So Sarah can't really forgive them, certainly not as long as these people remain to be evil, but she can let it go enough to where she can move on, to where they have no power over her anymore. It's what most victims have to go through. The abuse thing, like what we're talking about, it's just one example of how powerful hypnosis is. Had I not performed the dozen or so hypnosis sessions I performed within the first year or so that Sarah was here, she would have crashed. She really would have had mental issues. And the therapy that she would have had to undergone would have been decades. I did in a matter of weeks would have taken most therapists decades to do if yeah. they even got that far.
2: Yeah, and that's why we're on here talking about this. It's because... A lot of the people that come to us, they have psychological problems holding them back. And we can't just say go to a therapist because the reality is that it takes so long with even a good therapist, and they're hard to find, Mm -hmm. to overcome these issues that, well, they're only a problem because they're hard for us to talk about and hard for us to confront. And hypnosis makes it, well, easy to Mm -hmm. take on those hurdles.
1: Yeah. Well, everybody's heard of all these cutesy things, you know, Hypnotize somebody and stick them with a pen and they don't feel it, you know, sideshow stuff and quit smoking. And all that stuff is fine, it's cute, but hypnosis is a serious topic with serious implications. And it can help you with the most severe problems. And if you don't have severe problems, it can still help you. If you're having problems like, let's just say, run of the mill everyday problems like just getting motivated, going to the gym, getting that daily exercise. It can make all the difference in the world. And it's not like it's forced. If done properly, you'll look forward to it. You'll go and you'll be happy. Yeah. it's It really is an ability to reprogram yourself or to be reprogrammed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it can help you in your interpersonal relationships. You go to work, there's this one person at work you can't stand and you're at the point of choking him to death. Maybe hypnosis can help you, you know, to be more patient. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't sound like anything significant, but the long-term implications can be huge. Just something like that.
2: Yeah. And especially where it relates to things like maybe trying to eat better. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you can see how that might have an implication into the very long term.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm just going to confess to everyone, I have a reputation for cheating lots, okay? (laughs) Okay, I, I do the pizza... If I find uh, chocolate ice cream in the fridge, you know, that sort of thing, it's like, it's over. Okay, but, you know, I I try. I try, okay, but I don't always succeed. Sarah did a hypnosis on me, I don't remember, six months ago something. And while doing it, she just threw in that I'm going to have the desire to eat healthier. She just threw that in, in the mix, while we were doing it. And then for like two weeks after that, I couldn't get enough vegetables. I was just like running around like a rabbit. And and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. So, I don't know. Maybe hypnosis will be good for that kid you have who won't eat his <laughs> vegetables. Anyway, I guess we're going to get into the topic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Before we begin into really describing hypnosis, how to do it, I want to take a moment to tell you just how serious hypnosis is. And that. It should be handled by someone with, in the very least, some good common sense, hopefully intelligent too, because there could be implications, unintended side effects from someone who is ignorant. We're going to try to give some tips how to avoid the pitfalls. We're going to do our best.
2: For a good hypnosis, a calm, slow voice is needed, and relaxing music can help, but the music shouldn't have any vocals.
1: Yeah, because if there's words in the music, they might actually implant different programming.
2: And that includes if, for instance, you can't normally hear what they're saying. If it sounds like yodeling or something like that, it should still be avoided. Just keep it to instruments mm-hmm. only.
1: Yeah, at some unconscious level, the person may still comprehend it. Yep. Yeah, they can have real bad implications.
2: The key to the hypnosis is getting the person to relax So sexual relief beforehand and alcohol can help.
1: Mm -hmm. Just don't overdo it. Yeah. With the alcohol, that is. (laughs) (laughs) Because um, too much alcohol means the person essentially just goes in too deep, essentially passes out. and
2: And then you can't really do anything.
1: Yeah, the person just snores. That's what you get.
2: Throughout the procedure, distractions must be minimized. Some noises may be unavoidable so workarounds should be devised for these as needed. For example, a patient who has been mentally placed into a special environment can be told that the noises from people elsewhere should be ignored, because these people are completely unaware of the patient. He should be reassured that his environment is a secret and special place that is both comfortable and safe. Tell him that his focus should only be upon you as his guide and his trusted friend. An attempt should be made to eliminate distracting noises from the environment beforehand, as common sense would dictate. The therapist should be wary to avoid making noise of his own by being prepared, so that he does not need to clack on a keyboard or move materials during the session. Even a creaking chair can make the essential deepening phase where a person fully relaxes a failure, in some cases.
1: Another problem with noise is that if there's too much of it, too many distractions, The patient may not be in a hypnotic state deeply enough for him to forget the session afterward. Forgetting is important for the patient, so that the unconscious can quietly do what it has been ordered to do without the formation of complexes or resistance from the ego consciousness. Following these principles can literally mean the difference between war and psychological peace, and between success and failure. Be prepared. Anticipate problems because if you're hypnotizing someone to fix something to help, there are going to be problems. You wouldn't be doing the hypnosis if there weren't problems. Psychological barriers of different types, traumas, etc. There will be emotional problems during most hypnosis sessions, because hypnosis is normally used to cope with issues that are already traumatic for the patient. Even minor issues can become extremely emotional ones, sometimes inducing seizure-like flailing, once the childlike unconscious state has been reached. Beware of this, but more importantly, the hypnotist must mentally prepare himself for what is commonly the inevitable crisis. The most important thing is for the hypnotist to remain absolutely calm and unmoved. Any tension from him will only inflame the patient's reaction to worsen the situation. For patients with extreme trauma, such as trauma stemming from rape or child sexual abuse, Getting the patient drunk or otherwise sedated beforehand can be a most humane activity. Such sessions can be stressful for both the therapist and the patient. The therapist should show compassion, but he must have the mental discipline to express little emotionally. A common mistake is to allow the patient to talk about an ordeal in detail, since such material has been previously repressed, and it was likely repressed for a very good reason. It is important to remember that detailed confessions do not have the same benefits during a hypnosis session that they do in the waking state. Encouraging these talks only carries risk. The greatest risk is that the patient will recall repressed details, and then he becomes awakened by his subsequent reaction of terror, which carries the risk of a full psychosis, which would endanger both parties and possibly require institutionalization. There is also the risk that the patient will simply awaken from the horrible hypnotic experience and never want to try again it would mean that harm has been done to the patient, but no good. Thus, in addition to keeping yourself calm, the next most important activity is keeping the patient calm. Give the patient plenty of reassuring statements about how you and he are absolutely safe inside your secret location. Tell the patient that he feels safe in essentially commanding him to feel that way, in a most gentle tone. You may need to tell him that the person whom he is afraid of is not there, and that the bad person can never get there. His fears must be replaced by your will. Through friendly commands, you will be influencing his will and feelings to relax him and to maintain control. If you are too passive or doubtful, then you will inadvertently foster his fears and erode your control over the session. It is like you must become the parent, whilst he is in the mental state of being a child. Sometimes gentle commands are not enough. It is sometimes necessary to harshen the tone slightly to seem more authoritative, but never yell, and never allow yourself to seem angry or irritated. In fact, try to emulate the children's television character known as Mr. Rogers, except for talking more softly and slowly.
2: For a runaway patient on the verge of hysteria, gentle and authoritative commands may not be enough to maintain control. You may have to call upon the resources of the patient's unconscious mind to assist. This part of the mind communicates best and responds best to symbolic imagery. This is why we dream, for every dream is like a personal letter from that other side. By using imagery to elicit a controlled response, we can access the unconscious resources better, at the great expense of time and convenience. Sometimes there is no better option, however. An example of using imagery is to give the patient a pretend pill. The patient would be told that you are giving him a sedative, and that he sees and feels the pill as it is being placed into his mouth. Go heavy on the imagery details, for visualization is what triggers the unconscious mind to accept your statements as facts and to cooperate. Tell the patient how sedated and carefree the drug is making him feel, and how surprised he is at how fast it activated. As you do this, mix in some reverse psychology to remove his resistance by telling him that the drug becomes stronger as he tries to resist it in order to convince him that resisting the sedation only makes it stronger. This was merely meant to be one example from the many possibilities, but use care not to pick something that might be frightening to a child, for the patient is like a child. Do not sedate through an injection visualization, for instance, because so many kids are afraid of shots that it could have the opposite of the intended effect.
1: One of the most important rules for avoiding a catastrophe is for everyone to be willing to move slowly, and to accept that multiple sessions may be required. Proceeding slowly and being watchful for unintended consequences is the wisest policy." That was the background information and all the warnings that needed to be given, I believe. Yeah. Here we're going to actually go into the procedure, how it's done.
2: Step 1. Start a relaxation procedure from head to toe. For instance, close your eyes, relax, let go of everything, feel the tensions draining as you breathe deeply and slowly, etc. It takes from 2 to 10 minutes. Use visualization here and throughout the entire procedure, and give focus to breathing. For the tension relief, spend about 10 minutes discussing the visualization of tension relief from the toes to the head, slowly. For example, quote, you feel the muscles relaxing in your toes and feet, unquote. And then move on to the calves and etc. By the end, assure the patient that he is so relaxed that he feels as if he's sinking into the cushion, and yet he feels like he's floating.
1: In actual practice, you would go through this much slower. Uh, like, for instance, when Sarah was saying, "You feel the muscles relaxing in your toes and your feet," you'd want to say that in a very rhythmic, monotone voice, that's that's low. Like, for example. You feel the muscles relaxing in your toes and feet. If you notice when I did that, I said it slowly, and I actually slowed down as I was speaking. And by the end of the sentence, there was huge spaces between each word. Yeah. yeah. I mean, let me do that again real quick. You feel the muscles relaxing in your toes and feet. That is what you're going to be developing for the hypnosis, because the mind responds that way. Um, yeah, w- a
2: person can't relax if you're being too authoritative. So you have to really speak as if you're relaxed to some degree.
1: Yes. Yeah, they, they feed off of your relaxed voice to some degree. Mm-hmm. It's projected out. Step two, the next part, is the induction script. An induction script is a lengthy narrative that is read during hypnosis that's meant to wear the patient down, to essentially put him to sleep, but not completely asleep. The point of the induction is to wear out all resistance and so the patient is so tired and bored at the end that he's a willing participant even if he didn't start out being a fully willing participant. While reading an induction script, you need to speak rhythmically, with long pauses between phrases. The script is the meat of the procedure. It's meant to wear down the patient and cause mental confusion. The script is actually meant to make the patient more receptive to the next stage, which is called the deepening. So he needs to be totally worn down before we get there. You can find induction scripts on the internet. I'm going to read a sample of one, just so you get an idea of what they're like and I'm gonna read it as a hypnotist, okay? So try to stay awake <laughs> during this. I'm going to read one as as I would if I were actually hypnotizing someone. There's a lot of places you can download these. But I can't read an entire one because one, it would take too long. And two, they're copyrighted. And you know, so I can only read an excerpt.
2: Yeah. But if you use a search engine you'll be able to find hypnosis induction scripts.
1: Mm-hmm. Some are terrible, some are great. Basically, it's a matter of catering it to the patient and using a little bit of common sense.
2: Some of them kind of talk to the patient as if he's a little too dumbed down. It might be okay if you're talking to a child, but a lot of them talk about breathing through the fingers and things like this. You might actually end up turning the patient off, actually waking him up because he's slightly annoyed.
1: Yeah, Yeah, there, there are quite a few that are totally stupid. I'm going to read one that actually worked on me. I'm going to read from a script that Sarah used when she did her hypnosis and got me eating all those veggies. (laughs) Uh, This one is not silly like some of them. Sarah was talking about breathing through your fingers and weird, bizarre stuff like that. Um, Would just make most people roll their eyes and not be able to take the procedure seriously. and Mm -hmm. Actually thwart the procedure, Sarah was saying. This one is designed for intellectuals, people who are very resistant. It starts off by encouraging you to remember certain things, like facts were thrown out, and you're supposed to remember this fact, and then you're supposed to remember this fact and then another one and another one. The the point is as it builds and builds, snowballs, it's to overwhelm the person so that he's mentally fatigued and eventually has to give up.
2: Yeah, and let go. <laughs> and let
1: go. Which worked. And so I'm going to just start reading in the middle of this one about that topic, the the whole memory thing, I'm going to try to read it as I would read it. Here we go. And and by the way, this is uh, these are the things I'm supposed to be remembering, just so you know. The weight of your head, your breathing, the music in the background, how you look from the outside, the temperature of the room, your feet on the footrest your arms, the sound of my voice, and how your eyes feel. And of course, when anybody thinks of all these things, what they are really doing is scanning around them one after the other, very quickly. So quickly, it feels as if you're thinking of them all at once. And in this world of computers, computers, that would be called time-sharing sharing your available resources between the different tasks you're attempting to perform all at once and that's why some people can think of only five things because it's the limit of their memory while others can actually think of nine things and I wonder how well your memory is working as you struggle to remember those nine things, the weight of your head, your breathing, the music in the background, how you look from the outside, the temperature of the room, your feet on the footrest, your arms, the sound of my voice, and how your eyes feel. Okay, that was essentially one paragraph from this script, and it's meant to take like 30 minutes or so to read through the whole thing.
2: But you you get the idea of what one ought to sound like, more or less.
1: And how it should be read. Mm-hmm. And you, you can start off sort of reading it normally, but as you go on, your voice should slow, get more kind of soft and monotone, and by the end you should essentially be talking like this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that was step two, induction. And I recommend finding a good induction script. Look around. I'm sure you'll find one if you spend some time on it. It's no fun trying to make one up on your own, and you probably won't do as well because in each induction script, there's all kinds of little psychological ploys, little tricks that are built in to wear the patient down and make him more submissive and planning that out from scratch it's not easy to do you you probably won't do as well after that you go into step three step three is called the deepening
2: it is meant to draw a patient into the hypnotic special place you may take him deeper by having him visualize that he is walking downstairs count slowly for each step taken. Fixating upon the number of steps taken is helpful, as is the case for the use of numbers overall. Include visualizations about his bare feet touching carpet or hard wood on the stairs, etc. Talk to him about going deeper into sleep, into the dark, special place inside, where it is just us. Keep reassuring him that it is a very safe and calm place that feels so good, let him know that he really wants to go. Tell him that you'll be his guide and keep him safe periodically. Usually about 10 steps is enough if induction was successful, but it should take several minutes to complete the slow process. When he reaches the bottom, be sure to tell him that he has reached that safe and special place that is so calm and enjoyable. Tell him it is the best place of all to talk, and that you'll be doing some talking with him and that he can expect for it to be an enjoyable experience. Keep in mind that you should be in contact with the childlike core of his personality, so speak to him calmly like a child, but with patient authority. Become more forceful if you begin to lose control, as can happen with emotional reactions. Note that other things can be substituted for steps, but things describing a descent seem to work best. Many hypnotists. Use an elevator trip instead and have the patient imagine a slow descent with emphasis upon the floor numbers. The important thing is that the patient is completely comfortable in the scenario. For example, going underwater would be a terrible descent visualization because of the common fear of drowning.
1: If you spend enough time and patient enough, you should be there at this point, at step three, or by the end of step three. Yeah. The patient should be fully under. May or may not be. It depends. Step 4 is trying to determine it. You should test to see if the progress was successful by eliciting answers to unusual questions. Determine how cognitive the patient is, and whether either an induction, step 2, or deepening, step 3, should be re based upon how deep the patient is under. A bit of common sense and intuition are both very useful for this.
2: Assuming that the patient is under deeply, and you determine that, then proceed to step five, which is finalizing the hypnosis by programming that hypnosis will be easy and enjoyable next time. Tell him that relaxing and returning to this place will be very easy. Say quote, "The next time we do this, you will quickly follow my voice back here. All of your worries will very quickly fade away." Unquote. Late on thick. Use a magic phrase while reinforcing it at the same time. A magic phrase is something that you can come up with, literally a small phrase you can tell him that will make it easy for him to relax in the future. You have to reinforce and tell him that this phrase will help him to relax. Mention it periodically afterward and restate how powerful it is until the awakening process.
1: Mm. The important thing about the magic phrase is it needs to be unusual. It needs to be something the patient would never hear anywhere else, under any circumstances. It's like a coded message, because, well, frankly, you don't want him hearing the magic phrase on TV or on the radio, especially while he's in traffic. There's a risk he might doze off. So it has to be something unique, and if he hears it elsewhere, it'll, it'll lose its essential power that it won't help pull the patient under again. A good example of a magic phrase is the following. A capital letter is never mailed. Again, a capital letter is never mailed. Sounds pretty nonsensical. It's something you'd never run into in the real world. But you can use that and associate that with a essentially magic power uh-huh. to hypnotize the person again easily. And then you can reuse the phrase during your next hypnosis. Sprinkle it through. You know, Once you're in the middle of the induction, stop, pause, say that, remind them that it's a magic phrase and what it does. And keep doing that, and do that all the way through to the very end, that way you're not only using it but you're reinforcing it at the same time yeah. okay? mm-hmm. so it's it's like basically a a back door you're creating a back door into that person's head
2: which is why it's important to not use something that is already used in the real world
1: mm-hmm because if the person hears it, it could have adverse effects and it will diminish its usefulness mm hmm so step five was reinforcing the whole process of hypnosis to make it easier next time, implanting about how easy it will be, and coming up, making sure there's a magic phrase. If none exists, if this is your first time, for instance, issue the magic phrase. Explain it and repeat it many times and what it does. After that, you've essentially finalized the hypnosis process. You make it to step six, which is the actual programming stage. This is where you do the work, you you accomplish the goals, the agenda, why the hypnosis took place. Questions may be asked to learn the roots of deep complexes, and this should be done for every topic to be covered. This will help to avoid previously unforeseeable consequences in the reprogramming. Suggestions will be blindly accepted for most topics if the hypnotist is resolute. It is a battle of wills in which the hypnotist has an extreme advantage. Everything should be presented in the most positive manner. Negative suggestions and questions are much more likely to yield disastrous side effects. For example, quote, Doing this activity is very bad may yield a complex later because the patient may begin linking doing the thing as being undeniable proof of him being a very bad person. Instead, the hypnotist must strive to link positive associations and feelings with the behavior being encouraged. Negativity should only be used as a tool to correct most resistant behaviors, which is to be only used with the addition of positive reinforcement, and only as a last resort. As with all things involving the unconscious, including hypnosis, visualization is very important. It's at the core of everything. Let me give you an example of that with what I went through with Sarah. She had problems letting go with her past, the things that had been done to her particularly by her uncle. She couldn't move on. One of the things I presented to her during hypnosis was that he was dead to her. That he's gone. I told her to imagine him in a hole with a mound of dirt beside it, loose dirt, and that she was standing there with a shovel, and that she was to imagine digging in that dirt and burying his dead body. That's just one of the many visualizations that I used because she was very resistant, but it worked. I mean, it took, it took multiple attempts. It took other visualizations. Uh, sometimes she had to take a pill for this to relax. But the point is, is I was able to reprogram her mind to let go because she couldn't do it otherwise. She didn't have the will to. And it worked.
2: We've talked a lot about getting the person to comply and we've used words like this, and I don't want it to be misunderstood. We're not talking about hypnotizing a person against his will, at least not really. But a person often has difficulty letting go, even when he wants to be hypnotized. I just wanted to kind of make that point, that we're talking about two people who've both agreed that, you know, he, he does indeed want to be hypnotized, and sometimes he just keeps holding on. And so with the deepening phase and the letting go, that's what we're referring to.
1: I know some of you listening are wanting more examples. I can understand that. The trouble is, every situation is so different. You're really going to have to think it through, use some common sense, and figure how you're going to get that result with the hypnosis and applying symbolic imagery.
0: Yeah.
1: And the burial situation I did for Sarah, that was custom for her. So she could bury it and move on. And... Um, it yeah. just
2: might take some talking to the person beforehand and really understanding what you're going to be doing in the hypnosis to allow you to think it through and come up with the visualizations.
1: Yeah. You, you need to know what you're doing, and you need to plan this out carefully if you're going to do a hypnosis. Don't test the depth of the water with both feet at the same time. Yeah as Confucius once said.
2: Yeah, good planning is key.
1: Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to wing it. You're going to have to play it by ear once you're in it, too, though, to some degree. Mm -hmm. There's going to be gotchas, and the patient may become very upset. So you don't want the patient waking up in worse shape than you started, you know, hysterical. Or, Or worse, not waking up, but just reliving some nightmare for and while well, you're panicked, and that's the worst thing you can do is panic and think, oh, my gosh, what do I do now? <laughs> um, you gotta, you got to keep your cool and think yeah. and figure out how to get that person back under control and relaxed and figure out how to move on to the next step. And that happens. Uh, people do remember things in hypnosis that they don't remember or that they've been pushing out of their head repressing. You you can have somebody relive a trauma and start screaming. Just follow our advice, and you you should be fine.
2: Yeah, just be the authority and guide him, and Mm -hmm. it'll go right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The rest is easy. The easy part is waking the person up. But you want to do it in a very calm, relaxed, slow manner. You don't want to just do, okay, you wake up when I snap my fingers and snap your fingers, that the person will like have a seizure for a minute. It's like being splashed with cold water. But you're, you're in such a deep state.
2: Yeah, no shaking.
1: Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. no. You want to lull the person into being awake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or that person is not going to wake up well. That's actually step seven.
2: Yep. So for step seven, before beginning the awakening process... Reaffirm the power of the magic phrase, and how the patient will more easily come back to the special room next time. Program that he will remember that this has been a good experience. Tell him that even though his memories of his time in the special place will quickly fade away like a dream, that somewhere in his mind everything will be retained, and that everything told to him will happen. Make sure he knows that there is no ambiguity about it. Let him know that everything you told him that he will do will, in fact, happen. Tell him that it is impossible to change this fact, but that he does not wish to resist these welcome changes. Tell him that they will bring him more happiness. Forgetting is important to make the suggestions work without the interference of the conscious will, and to prevent complexes that could arise from such conflicts. He must be told that he will quickly forget everything on a conscious level, like the passing of a dream's memory.
1: With that said and done, begin the actual awakening by reversing the deepening. Have the patient traveling upward on the stairs or the elevator. This phase is usually faster than the deepening, but do not rush it. Mention to him that he will be awakening soon. Tell the patient about tension increasing as he is slowly going up. At the halfway point, mention that his breathing and heartbeat have increased. The voice should become a little louder and less soothing. Just before the final step or floor, build the anticipation and tension by telling him that he is about to wake with the next step or floor, and then command him to awaken at that conclusion. At that point, his eyes should come open, and if everything went right, he may actually ask you, when are we going to begin? Yeah. That happened to me one time. I was in the middle of her intellectual induction script, getting a little bit annoyed and bored, thinking this is never going to work. And then I heard Sarah say, and you stepped up to the final step and awakened." And I'm like, uh, Sarah, w- what's going on here? <laughs> I didn't. I was like, uh, why did you bail? Why did you bail on me? And then she told me, like, you've been out for two hours, Thomas. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. And then I looked at my watch, and yeah, yeah, either either I'd have been out for two hours, or she had somehow managed to play quite the trick on me with my watch.
2: And yeah, the interesting thing is, unlike when you sleep, because when you sleep, you feel like you've been asleep for a long time. You have this kind of sense of the fact that time has passed.
1: Yeah, you, somehow your your biological clock is still working.
2: Exactly. With hypnosis, it's often not like that.
1: You you wake up hours later wondering what happened. Like, why did that person quit and yeah. not hypnotize you? When, in fact, you may have been out for hours and hours. <laughs> Just telling me, it's kind of neat. Yeah. It's like a time warp. <laughs> yeah. He did a good job. I was really feeling refreshed and pumped up and at ease, happy. It's just a really, really good feeling. It was like, it's like what an antidepressant is supposed to be. <laughs> but was, isn't. But isn't, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sort of wondering if there should be hypnosis therapy. That should be the new thing. Mm-hmm. As opposed to drugs. I guess the most important thing. In the hypnosis, is finding someone you can trust,
2: and you can get that person to listen to this. Um, but
1: yeah, if the person's reasonably intelligent, willing to take a few notes, really spend some time paying attention to this material, it's really everything a person needs. Yeah. Well, what do you have to say,
2: Sarah? <laughs> I'm there. I'm done. Are we there? I think we're there. Was that the show? Well, we should probably do
1: a goodbye. Okay, what are we going to say to people? In our goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> you know what we should do? We should cue in another one of those phone calls. Yeah, what so do, you, we're
2: what going do you
1: think? I don't think you're any clean enough to yeah. play on her. It's so tempting, but we'd have people so mad at us if yeah. we played some of these other ones. I can't get over it. I thought I had a fan, Sarah. A, a very serious fan <laughs> who, who wanted my hot bod. We, we can't put this in, can't we? No. Hello, Thomas
0: Claire. Well, you never call me back, and I'm still upset.
1: Hey, she's calling again, Sarah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. I, well, I guess we're going to go now because I need to take this call. Right. Um... No paying the bill. What what do you think, Sarah? It's been a good show.
2: It has been a good show. And I hope that we're able to help some people.
1: Yeah. We're sorry for taking so long in between shows. Uh, It's just, well, time is a real problem for us. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, we're here if you need us, though. Yeah. Give us a ring. We'll be here. Okay, yeah. Toodaloo.
2: Bye-bye.